0: Hello, welcome to the Harvard Alumni for Education podcast. This is Mitchie Furial, HAED's Director of Communications and Marketing. Today, we will be talking about how we can leverage design thinking to enhance education quality and resource starved developing communities, such as those in the Philippines. We sat down with Habi Education Lab founder, Jerson Abasamis and talked about how his startup uses small design thinking workshops and collaborative lesson prototyping to provide a meaningful professional development program for teachers, resulting in innovative learning experiences in classrooms across the Philippines. Hi, Jerson.
1: Hi, Michi.
0: Uh, so you've been doing a lot of work with Habi recently, could yeah. you tell us a little bit about what Habi does?
1: So- What we do at HABI is basically we work with teachers on research and design projects. We scaffold the process of finding a problem, um, ideating on solutions, brainstorming on solutions, and then prototyping um, some of the solutions with the hope that the solutions that they come up with are things that they own, things that eventually become more sustainable.
0: Uh, So how did this idea come about? What gaps did you see that you wanted to fill?
1: All of this... Started this idea started because of my experience as a teacher and because of the experience of my other um, co-founders as teachers in different schools. So I taught in a public school. Some of them taught in private schools, high school, elementary. It basically stemmed from that feeling um, as a teacher here in the Philippines that most of the reforms, if not all of the reforms, are very top down. Um, professional development programs are in a one size fits all model. We are st- we are cramped. Inside like a large auditorium with a hundred other teachers with this one speaker talking about um, best practices and 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 all research based things that don't really feel relevant to some of the problems that we do um, and also a lot of the a lot of the policies tend to be just you know trickled down from the central office down to the down to the teachers' offices and it's hard for for us to feel some sort of agency and ownership over over the solutions that we want to come up with. As a teacher, there are a lot of reforms happening right now in the Philippines, and you f- tend to feel very disempowered or disenfranchised over a lot of things. When I went to Harvard and after Harvard, when I worked as an app designer, that's how you know design thinking, human-centered design, user-centered design, all of those concepts started making sense to me as a teacher. Um, that teachers are natural designers, that a lot of the processes that we do. Um, prototyping, for instance, teachers prototype class lessons almost every time. Um, empathy is a big piece of, of teaching, and it's actually intuitive for us teachers to, to empathize for our students, how they feel, and then we, we sort of adapt our lessons on the fly. That's, that's, that's a usual thought process that a lot of teachers have. And so having that connection between um, human-centered design and teaching as a discipline really made sense, um, so that's how I guess the, the, the idea of Happy Education Lab started is, is thinking of, of teachers as if they are designers, if you will. Like designers of learning spaces, designers of learning experiences, designers of curriculum, and providing teachers that sense of, of, of opportunity to create and to design um, customized, very like grassroots. Type of solutions um, within the bounds of bureaucracy that uh, Philippine education has, yeah.
0: and how have teachers responded to that? Uh, Most
1: mostly positive, definitely. Like that, we wouldn't be I mean, we wouldn't be where we are now if we met a lot of 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 resistance. But from those initial prototype workshops, so we also practice design thinking on our own, right? So after those initial uh, prototype workshops, that's how we realized how. Um, how to effectively communicate our message and our ideas to our fellow teachers? Which is um, these things are not new. You are already doing these things on your own: the way you plan your lesson, the way you execute lessons, the way you talk to parents, the way you listen to to fellow teachers and brainstorm about certain ideas. These are already pieces of human-centered design that you are already doing. You are already designers, so it's not. The way we work with them now is more of an asset-based kind of a mindset where we're not teaching them new things. We're just letting them realize and providing them some of the tools and some of the resources that they can use on their own and they can pick out on their own. Um,
0: And it seems like you've taken a lot of your learnings from Hugsy and maybe brought it here. How have you felt like you've had to change your learnings to fit Mm. the context Mm. of the Philippines in in Mm. this particular setting?
1: Well, one is... um, I guess some of the fundamentals are still there when it comes to um, designing for education and for educators. So empathy is still a big part of it um, and, and prototyping. But I guess what's different is that when, when in, in, in Hugsy when we talk about design and we talk about innovation, there's always this assumption that a lot of resources are readily available. Like a lot of the, there are a lot of uh, things that we took for granted when we were at Hugsy. Even as simple as, as, chalk and and markers and fresh post-its. You know, those are things that, that when we go to schools, they it's 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 not there as much.
0: During the time when you were assessing whether this was something that you really wanted to do, mm-hmm. what factors were you considering? Like financial sustainability, yeah. or just you know, will the teachers accept this? Mm-hmm. Like that type of thing. I guess
1: the I guess the the, the latter. The 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 first. Thing. My first initial concern then was, would they listen to me? Um, I was this guy who only had five years of teaching experience and that's really small compared to a lot of the teachers that we worked with. Um, five years, you're just like a junior teacher, right? Other concerns, um, it was hard to look for co-founders. It was hard to look for people who you want to work with. In, initially, it was just on my own. I would. I guess in the first three or four months of, of Habi or experimenting with Hobby, I would just go to um to to the to the stores buying all these random prototyping and art materials. I would put them in a box and that box is something that I would bring from school to school. And I would just be on my own. I would have like portable speakers so that I can um so I could play music in the middle of some activities and uh it was just me, like a one-man show. What I guess, that what, what worked really well was that every time I would um, go to these workshops, I never pretended that I had a PhD or I never pretended that I, I was above them. It was... It was always like a collaboration type of thing, cliche as it may sound, like, you know, it's, I was a facilitator, not a teacher, not a trainer. Like I never really liked the term teacher training. Um so having that sense of vulnerability and, and sharing that vulnerability and that process with them that this is a prototype too. Um was strange for them at first, but then they, they realized that, oh, okay, so we'll just this is not stressful for us. So we don't have to pretend that we also know a lot of things as well. Um, so that opens up like a different dynamic in the workshops and in, in the collaboration. So I guess that's that's one recipe that worked for us. Um,
0: and what changed now from you wanting to take this from being a one-man show yeah. to now having a full-fledged team? Yeah. Like, how are you planning to, to scale and what are your thoughts around that right now?
1: Um, in terms of... So right now, in terms of scaling, we... From last year where we just did workshops this year this year we focused on longer term engagements with schools and organizations so we're lucky that every almost every month we have we have a project um, so like for, for now we're starting a new project with the Department of Education which is just a small district we're just doing a, a research a capacity building research project for, for, for them for Metro Manila schools. Um, so in terms of scaling for this year, we just wanted to do long-term, not too much, uh, because it's hard to scale um, relationships. Like, what we do is a lot of relationship building and trust, and we just can't hire like 10 people who are really excellent on paper and who are really intelligent, but it's hard to create that dynamic, and they have to go through the process also. Like, they have to see what prototyping really looks like in schools or how long it takes to, to change attitudes about... about innovation and about, you know, trying risk-taking in schools. When you look at school budgets now, they spend a lot of money on professional development programs, paying for these PhD people or paying for these rock star speakers, but then, I mean, in the end, what would you really gain, right? Aside from using that money and allocating some of your resources to doing studies on your own and you would get answers to some of the questions that you have and you would get answers or you would get ideas that are custom fit to your context um, so that's also how we, how we communicate you know, why should you spend money on, on, on research or on projects like this like, in the end we want schools to be like learning institutions so that schools themselves are learning as well so that's like the, the, our vision for, for Philippine schools like the students shouldn't be the only people learning inside the schools but the schools should also be learning on their own they should know how to improve their practice. They should know how to to serve their community better. How to engage with some of the stakeholders in their in their vicinity. Um, and so, providing those tools um, would is is something that we're 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 trying to you know figure out more, and something that we want to 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 share.
0: Do you have any? things that you're thinking about right now for the next year that you really want to do? And mm-hmm. like, similarly, you know, in 10 years' time, like, what do you envision for, for hobby?
1: Um I guess what we, wa- what, we, what we want to do for the next year is to create more opportunities for teachers to, to get to know the process of design thinking and designing research. Um, so we're creating kits. We're creating an app. We're creating materials. We want to create a video or a podcast series, um, just so that it, it becomes more accessible. Some resources that we want um, um, that either will sell or we're we'll give away for free. Um, so providing, you know, expanding, expanding our I guess our ideas and what we learn through writing, through materials, through everything. That's one thing that we want to definitely do.
0: What advice do you have for others who are hoping to launch their own startups as well? Um, I guess it's,
1: you know, finding that safe prototype to try out, like that MVP. For us, that's not too painful for you to try out. Um, There's a difference. I I really like this advice or this, this mindset that there's a big difference between something painful and something uncomfortable. Like, if you're uncomfortable, it means that you're learning. So being a startup you have to be very uncomfortable Um, it's going to be part of it but it's also you have to do things that are not painful because if it's painful then you're doing something wrong or you're like overstepping some of the things that that you're you're doing so um, and it might so doing something painful might um, demotivate you into you know pursuing that that startup idea that you have Um, so it's just starting small so that's what I did, Um, I just started with a workshop, just a one day and then became a two day and then became one person, two people, three people and then slowly expanding. And also um, trying to look at everything as a learning experience. Like it's processing everything, gathering the insights that you need so that using that as a guide to, as, as as like a compass or a barometer where you would go next in the beginning, um, I also found myself talking about hobby, but then I didn't have a lot of work to do to, to back it up, you know. So um, it felt really awkward. Um, so that's when I realized, oh, maybe this is the time that I should just stop focusing on self presentation or on marketing on everything, just start doing work. Um, so it's also that um, that will guide whatever direction the the, 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 the your startup would, would do. When you look at all of these startups before, they always had that um, idea that, that they had these assumptions about let's say a market or a need. They would do it, and then when they when they when they actually implemented it, they would be it would change. Like and it's it's normal, right? So you have to embrace that messiness too. Um, so.
0: Well, there you have it. Thank you so much to Jerson for sharing his experiences with us. To find out more about Jerson's Startup, visit www habieducationlab.org, that's H-A-B-I educationlab.org. Harvard Alumni for Education, H-A-E-D, aims to create a strong, connected, collaborative community of Harvard University alumni who are practitioners, researchers, and leaders in the field of education. If you are a member of the Harvard community and would like to join our shared interest group, visit www.harvardaed.org. Again, that's www.harvardaed.org. Stay tuned for next week's episode.